Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. So sometimes, sometimes I think to myself, I have this thought, and maybe you have this thought too, but one of the thoughts I have often is, why do I so easily get overwhelmed? Anybody else? Like, you know, life just comes at you sometimes, and it's just, it's sometimes it's minor things that can feel like really big deals in our lives. And last fall, um, as a family, uh, my wife, Bonnie, started having these health problems. We didn't know what they were. I was sort of in this season of like, she wasn't, she wasn't um, like insanely sick, but she was, was kind of um, limited, and, and so for me as a husband, I don't have the same domestic skills as my wife, and so it was a real big deal for me, you know, and it was just, it was really challenging, and she was also in the midst of that, my wife's amazing, she starts this new job, um, we, you know, we have three kids running around, we got work, we moved into this building December 8th, like it was, a re- I got through a really crazy fall, I was praising God for a new year, <laughs> um, but it was just, it was it was a crazy fall for us and you know my gut response sometimes when I get into those situations that are stressful is just hey put your head down buckle up get through it power on and sometimes it feels like man you can do that for a while but then you start to peter out a little bit you know you can try to play the hero for a while you can try to carry it all on your shoulders but after a while man that hero act it just starts to starts to fade it starts to um, to wear and eventually the real you starts to come through and um, you know I don't know if you've experienced that recently or at some point in your life but that's something that that I've experienced and what I realized in this last month is that was my fault it was my fault. I, it was my fault for overextending. It was my fault for overcommitting. It was my fault for thinking that I can manage my life and do a good job. <laughs> like I, I, I was way too optimistic about my own ability to manage my own life. So I was going inward for strength. But as you know, you can only push so long until you get drained, until you get fatigued, until you get tired. And in December, God brought our family a spark. We had, we had this really cool opportunity that I shared before where we went to San Francisco um, to, to spend some time with the church movement down there. And more than anything, it's like when you get around people who are just passionate about God, like that's infectious. And we were, we were in a group of people that, like, as soon as we met these people, they were like, hey, you want to get together and pray? How many of your friends do that, you know? Probably not many. Hey, you want to get together and pray? You want to worship? Like, let's get up in the morning. And it was like, wow, this is like a breath of fresh air. So in this time, we, we had a chance to rest. And, and, and after we got back, we just spent as much time, like, resting in the Lord as we could. And it was just so refreshing it was really rich, and so in the middle of that whole experience, I felt really prompted, let's start off the year with a series called Refuge. What if we committed this year to actually making God our strength? Instead of ourselves, um, instead of other things, what if God was really our strength? What if God was really our refuge? And it seems to me when, like, I'm stressed out, the first book I turn to in the Bible is Psalms. 
I love the Psalms. Um, I don't know about you, but there's just something beautiful, there's something real uh, about reading the Psalms. And John Piper said this, he said, the reason people love the Psalms is because the Psalms touch so many emotions. You can always find yourself in the Psalms no matter what you're dealing with. I found that to be really true in my life. No matter what I was dealing with, there seemed to be a, like a psalm that touched my heart. Whether it was about anger or loneliness or fear, uh, there's so many uh, different psalms and it just gives you this picture of, of a human soul that's just vulnerable before God. You can see your own weakness before God. You can see a transparent heart. And so as I've read the Psalms lately, there's one word that keeps popping up over and over and over again. It's this word refuge. The idea that God is our refuge. And the idea of refuge is all over scripture. There were cities of refuge in the Old Testament. It comes, um, it, it comes up again and again and again. But in the Psalms, there's this central theme that God is a refuge. It happens, it, that, that is said over 40 times in the Psalms. In Hebrew, the word for refuge, I'm going to do my, my best with this, but it's ma'oz. You guys say that with me this morning, okay? <clears throat> Clear your throat. Ma'oz, ready? Ma'oz. It's powerful, right? But it literally means mountain stronghold. God is my mountain stronghold. It gives us a picture of our relationship with God. It's like a secured fortress in the mountains. And I think as like Whatcom County people, we probably really connect with that, right? Like when you think of, man, I just need to get away for a while. I need to retreat. Maybe you think of the mountains. Do we have like mountain loving people here? Anybody? All right, a few people. Good, good. You know, how can I get up to the mountains and just get away from it all? I remember when, um, you know, four years ago when we had those, that, that smoke everywhere, it was like people are like just kind of in this haze down here. And it's like, man, I just got to get away from this smoke. Plus it's like, when the wildfire smoke was going on, it was like, I, get, I heard it was like smoking 10 cigarettes a day. I don't know if that's true, but it was like, man, we got to get out. And there, a lot of people were just heading up to the mountains. Like, how far up can I get away from the smoke? And that's sort of the idea is that, is that this mountain stronghold, God is this mountain stronghold that we escape to. That's impenetrable, um, where we can feel safe. You guys have probably heard a lot in our culture this idea of safe space. You know, safe space, this, this phrase safe space is, is everywhere. Um, they talk about safe spaces in schools and workplaces and different things. Um, if you Google the definition for safe space, it's a place or environment in which a person or category of people can feel confident that they will not be exposed to discrimination, criticism, harassment, or any other emotional or physical harm. So we have a culture today that's like actively searching out safety. Like we love safety. And what we see in the Psalms is that God is that safe space that God is this safe place for us. And refuge is not something that can be created by humans. Instead, Psalm 71 says that God is a rock of rich, uh, refuge to which we can always go. God is a rock of refuge to which we can always go. So what if God is the only place where we can find real refuge? 
Many of you today, I mean, we're experiencing difficult things. Many of you today have obstacles or difficulty in your life that you're trying to work out right now, whatever that is, whether it's grief or loneliness, um, job insecurity, addiction. Uh, there are a lot of things in our lives that create uncertainty and fear. And they kind of come up like one after the other. If it's not one thing, it's another. Um, but the question is, where are we running to? for refuge. We're all running somewhere, but where are we running to for refuge? When, um, when Bonnie and I were first married, I was looking for a job. I was just out of college. Somebody told me the world was my oyster. I had no idea what that meant, but I was looking for a job, and I realized, like, what skills do I have to market? You know, like, great, I have a piece of paper that says something, but... Um, so I was looking for a job. I was in Starbucks, and all of a sudden, there's an older guy in a blue blazer who comes up to me, and he says, uh, he says, you look like a motivated young man. And I thought, oh, great. <laughs> what is he going to say? And, and I thought, oh, what does this guy want, you know? And, and, uh, and I was too nice, you know? I was 22. I didn't know how to, like, say, no, thank you. I'm not interested at that point. So I just said, yeah, I'm, I'm a motivated young guy. And that gave him 45 minutes of line to just talk to me about the latest and greatest network marketing program that I needed to be a part of. It's like, ah, I've never, I never, it was my first experience with it. I'm sure you've had an experience with this, but I just let this guy run. He shared all the benefits of it. Uh, he shared how it would make my life better, how having this residual income would change everything. It would be just amazing. And so what I should have said at the end of the conversation was like, no thanks. But I said, well, let me think about it. You know, thinking I could let this guy off easy. Multiple phone calls from this guy. Finally, I break and actually drag my wife to a second meeting with this guy. <laughs> I need to learn how to break up, you know? Um, <laughs> And I drag her to a second meeting with this guy. And, and we're just smiling and nodding. He's buying lunch for us. He's talking about how awesome his car is and you know, different things that would really impress us you know, as 22-year-olds. And we went an hour about his lifestyle and how this was the ticket. And at the end of the conversation, we said, thanks, but no thanks. You know, it was just, why did we lead this guy on? A waste of time for everybody. So the moral of that story is don't be too nice, OK? <laughs> It's, yeah, actually, the, the moral of the story is like, where are we putting our security? You know, for this guy, his picture of security was, was this network marketing thing that would build up enough income where he wouldn't have to worry about anything. You know, if he just had the right strategy, he could acquire enough money to where, you know, he could feel good and go on vacations and, and all those different things that, that make life great. And I think about that, and I wonder, that's, I look down on that, but I wonder, are we putting confidence in something very similar to that? Like, if you went home today and you found out that your bank account was drained, like, how would you feel? Would you be afraid? Be mad? Like, how much security do we have tied up in our money, in our stuff? You know, there's a lot of human comfort that we we, we put ourselves in, and obviously we need to be wise with our finances, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying, if worse came to worse and you didn't have what you have now, where would you run? What does it look like to run to God as your primary refuge? And so to answer that question, we're gonna turn today to Psalm 27, 
If you have your Bibles, Psalm 27 was written by King David. Um, God called King David, nobody else had this title in scripture, but God called King David a man after his own heart. A man after God's own heart. Yes, David made mistakes. They're well documented in scripture. David made a lot of mistakes. Um, But the reason why God favored David is because David favored God. David loved God. God was David's number one passion. While all these other kings were led astray by jealousy, by idolatry, um, by wealth, David, even in his mistakes, kept his heart focused on God. He didn't give up. And unlike other Psalms, we don't know exactly what's happening in this moment. Other Psalms, we know like where David's coming from, if Saul is chasing him or, or, or what, but this one we don't really have a point of reference. Um, But we do know that throughout David's life, he was under constant pressure. He was under constant threat of death. He was under constant attack from different people. And so um, from the looks of it, this is one that's a little bit later in David's life. Um, But let's look at what refuge looks like for David here in Psalm 27. There's 14 verses. If it's easier for you, you can read on the screen. um, Or you can close your eyes and just listen to this prayer from David. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. What I see here is a man whose confidence is completely in God. What I see here is, is, a, is a, a man who's battle-tested, who's been down this road before, who's seen God save him, who's seen God do miracles, who's seen God at work in his life. And he comes to this place again where he's in danger. You know, he says, give me not up to the will of my enemies. False witnesses have risen against me. They're breathing out violence. 
So for David, he's in this, he's in this moment yet again. Yeah, he's been down this road before, but yet again, he finds himself in this place of difficulty, place of betrayal, where people are speaking lies about him, a place where people want to kill him, hurt him. And yet, David's learned at this point in his life, he can lean on the Lord. He can lean on him because he's seen God answer his prayer before. He's seen and tested God in the middle of the battle, and he's seen God come through in his life, and he can lean on that. He can lean on the faith that God really is there for him, even if all others are against him. Like he, he talks about even if his father and mother turn against him, meaning even if my closest family who like, you know, who loves you more than your mom and dad, right? You know, even if my closest family were to turn against me still, you would take me in. And so what we see here is as David grows older, as his relationship with God grows, it's not his circumstances that get better, it's his faith that gets stronger. It's not that his circumstances get, get better and everything becomes easier for him. It's that his faith becomes stronger. It looks like this. Put it up there. So the first one says, Jesus plus time equals better circumstances. And I crossed it out. Because really what we see here is that Jesus plus time equals stronger faith. So as the more that we walk with Jesus, the more that we learn to lean on him, the stronger our faith grows. It doesn't mean, and you can look at David's life and see this, it doesn't mean that life will get easier or less complicated, but it does mean that our faith will get stronger. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more our faith is supposed to grow. You know, think about David's life for a second. David went through some really difficult things when he was young, right? He had the moment with Goliath, you know, where he, his faith just kind of shone through, and then all of a sudden, his reward for that is getting chased around the mountains by Saul, who wants to kill him, you know? And then at, at the end of that, Saul dies, and his best friend Jonathan dies, and he mourns the death of his best friend. So he went through some difficult things in his childhood, but you could argue, if you look at David's life, his older age was actually far more traumatic. You know, after he made a mistake of having an affair with Bathsheba, like his life just fell apart. His family life was like a mini-series that you wouldn't let your kids watch, you know? It's just like, it's like filled with, with horrible things. Um, kids killing other kids, rape, all, all these terrible, terrible things. His family just falls apart, completely dysfunctional, like, and yet, even in this total mess, like, David's faith grows. Even when life is just chaos, and yeah, a lot of it is related to the mistakes that he made, but still, he seeks God. Time and time again, we don't see David go up, or give up. We see David continue to return to God as his refuge. He says, your face, Lord, do I seek. Like, that's his heart cry. I seek you. You know, I think it's only someone who understands how gracious God is that would actually have the audacity to keep coming back to him again and again. You know, yes, I failed again. Yes, this happened. Yes, this happened. But David knows that God loves him. David knows that grace is waiting for him. But he has to keep coming back, turning, repenting. And that's exactly what he did. So David uses a word for refuge, the word ma'oz. It shows up here in the first verse. David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold, the ma'oz. 
the refuge of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Doesn't matter the situation. David's not afraid. The Lord is his refuge. He says the refuge of his life. Like there's no competing refuge. Like the Lord is it. The Lord is that refuge. He is the security. His refuge is not in his resume. It's not in what he's done. It's not in, 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 in all the victories the, you know, that he's had with God. No, it's just in God. And we always see this idea of refuge in, in the Psalms come up in the context of a threat. You know, there's always some sort of threat in, in that, that someone's facing that, that turns them to go towards their refuge. You know, for David, he's surrounded by his enemies on all sides. He says, I have an army encamped against me, you know, surround, literally surrounding me. It made me think about this week. Did anyone else get a little nervous when you thought, like, the U.S. was going to war this week? Or it's like, oh my gosh, like, this, let's, I don't want to go down this road. Like, it was, uh, got a little nervous there for a minute when it looks like, you know, things were, you know, kind of tensing up there. Um, and while that is like a potential faraway threat, David is facing like a very real and, and, and present threat, like a very present danger. He's facing evil, it says, evildoers that assail me to eat up my flesh. Like they want him specifically. Like they want to take him out. It's a very clear and present danger. You know, but we all seek refuge because we're surrounded by different threats, right? We all have different threats, whether they're internal threats or external threats. Like we're all wrestling with something. And because of that, we need to seek shelter from something. We need to seek refuge. We, it's our response to escape to something, to seek a place of safety. And often in scripture, the mistakes that we see people make, like other kings, not David, the mistakes that they made was taking refuge in idols. Oh, well, God's not answering this drought. Well, I'm going to pray to this fertility God, Baal of another tribe, to see if he can do anything. Um, we see them take refuge in their wealth. We see them live kind of self-deceived lives, like putting themselves in the place of God. I mean, but has anything really changed in 3,000 years? You know, you could boil it down. People are still seeking comfort from the same things. You know, money, sex, and power. Like, those are the big three that, that we seek comfort in. And here's the message of refuge in the face of all of that, in the face of all these different direc directions that we could go. The message of refuge is that only God can save us. Only God can save us. It seems to me that David learned this with age. You know, David learned that money wasn't his salvation. David learned that sex wasn't his salvation. You think about his affair with Bathsheba, that set a whole series of events in motion that decimated his family. Uh, power wasn't his salvation. In fact, power made him a target. His power is probably what's making him vulnerable right here in this moment. And so only God could save David. And David knew this, and that's why David was focused only on one thing. One thing, it says, one thing alone I will seek. And that's this. So we talked about the message of refuge, and here's the focus of refuge. The focus of refuge is to be with God. More than anything, David just wanted to be with God. The point of refuge was not just, I need a place to lie low for a while. David's heart cry was, when can I spend time with God again? 
When can God fill my cup again? When, when can I meet with God and have him restore my soul? David says this in verse 4, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's it. He says one thing. One thing I want that I will seek after, that I could live in God's house, that I would be so tight with God that I could live in his house. I just want to be with him. He just wants to be at home with God, that that would be his real place of refuge. I want to shut off the chaos going on out here, and I just want to be with God. You all know what it feels like to be at home, right? You have that place where you feel at home. Home is the place where you can sit on your couch and go, ah, right? Do that with me. It feels good, okay? Ah, that's home, okay? That is home. So think about where is that place for you? You know, whether it's your house, parents' house, <laughs> up in the mountains, where is that place where you can go, ah? Oh. I've talked about these friends before, but years ago, when Bonnie and I, uh, again, when we were right out of college, two, two stories from the same time period here, guys, this morning. Um, we were freshly married. We, uh, we moved to Portland. We didn't really know anybody in town. We left our college community, and, and we're just kind of in this weird world where we had to be adults, and I was working a lot, and, um, you know, Bonnie was commuting an hour to get to school, and uh, we were living in this tiny little apartment that had mold problems, and it was like, oh my gosh. We didn't really have a place where we felt like we could rest, you know? But in the middle of that, there was this couple, Jody and Lupe, that kind of came alongside and just adopted us. They're like, yeah, come over tonight. And Jody's from Louisiana, and so he made like Cajun food. Like, that's comfort right there, is, is Cajun food, shrimp boil. Um, anything with like Louisiana red or whatever, it's great. Um, but, but they just kind of let us into our li- let us into their lives, like several times a week, they'd just be like, hey, come over. These are just friends we had met from church, but they were just like, hey, come over, hang out. Um, it got to, we got so comfortable with them, like if I was tired, I would just like fall asleep on his couch and they'd, they'd just like let me stay there, you know? It was, it was pretty cool. You know when you get tired and you're hanging out at somebody's house, like I really gotta get going, not these people. It was just like, well, if Bonnie's still good, I'm just gonna sleep here on the couch. But they kind of provided that place of refuge for us early in our marriage that we needed. They, and they were the ones that really ended up discipling us and mentoring us as a new couple. And their home became this go-to place for us. It became the place where we could breathe a little bit. We could get away from the stress of life, where, where, where we could find life again. And, and they really loved us as their own. I mean, they're, they're probably like our best friends today. And thinking of that and thinking how important it is to have a space, the question for you today is this. What if God was your go-to? What if God was your go-to place? The place where you ran, where you could say, ah. When you're tired, when you're stressed, when you're hurting, when crisis hits, what if you head to a quiet place and just spend time with God? I think there's a lot of other things we escape to, you know? Um, There's tons of options on Netflix that you can choose and escape to when you're tired and stressed out. 
Um, there's all sorts of things. But what if you made God your go-to like David did? It might change a lot more than just you. I want to tell you just one more thing I think about a lot is that as a parent, I think about a lot like, man, I, I hope my kids follow Jesus, you know? I hope that, that we're living lives that they want to follow. I think sometimes, you know, as I'm putting my kids down to bed, I think sometimes I'm tired. I'm like, I just skip over bedtime tonight, like skip or, you know, scripture reading. But then there's always that thought, like, make the most of this time. Like, it is fleeting. Make the most of this time. And so it just challenges me, like, nothing is guaranteed with your kids. I don't know if there's a scarier thing than having kids, honestly. You know, nothing is guaranteed. So make sure that you do what you can while you have them. And it made me think about this. It made me think about um, my own dad. Um, one of my favorite memories as a kid is my, my brother and I had this, like, upstairs attic room. And some nights, like, my dad would just, like, sit in the corner and play his guitar. It was just this, like, you know, as a third, fourth grader, just hearing him play his songs. And, like, he'd play, like, John Denver and Cat Stevens sometimes. But then he'd also, you know, good stuff, right? Um, but then he'd also play, like, worship songs that he'd written, you know? And just listening to my dad, like, hearing his own relationship with God. Like, seeing him engage with God and, and write songs about his own doubts, his own joys, his own stuff. Was, it, it stuck with me. It showed maybe there's something real to this God thing. Francis Chan said, people want to follow people who are close to God. If you really want to change the world, if you really want to change your family, to change generations, maybe the greatest thing you can do is to be close to God, is to make God your go-to, to dwell in his house, to seek his face. But where do you start? I can tell you what it comes down to. It comes down to desire, right? Do you actually want to be with God? Do you desire to be with God? Is that your aim? Is he what you, is he what you ultimately want? Because there's a lot of things um, that compete with God for your heart. There's a lot of things that compete with God for what you ultimately desire, whether it's your work, your house, um, whether it's the Seahawks today. I mean, come on, guys. Yeah. Football's a little distracting, I'll be honest with you. Um, but what would, what would need to change in order to make God the one thing? How could you say with David, one thing that I will seek after? To be in God's house. I was reading in uh, Mark this week. We started a Bible reading plan this year in 2020. Um, and the, the verse that hit me this week is in Mark 4. Jesus is explaining a parable of the sower and the seed. He's warning the people what can lead us away from God. And he says this. He talks about seed that was sown among thorns. He says, and, the, and others are the ones sown, uh, sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it, pro and it proves unfaithful. That really challenged me this week. Because what's that, what that is saying, that has everything to do with our desires. That means if we allow other things to become what we primarily desire, we actually choke God out of our lives. 
We can allow the cares of the world. We can allow our interests, our wealth to, to drive us away from desiring God. It can lead us to what he says, an unfruitful life, that the word would be unfruitful in us. And I don't want that for anyone in this room. I don't want people to live unfruitful lives. I want people to live lives that are fruitful, that are full of the joy of the Lord, that are full of God's presence. And so in order to do that, we have to determine in our heart, is there anything in here that's choking out the word of God in my life, the desire for God in my life? How do I make God my go-to, my desire, my refuge, the place where I find refuge. And uh, one takeaway this morning, and the band can come on up. I want to just give one takeaway, one place to start, because desire, it's hard to talk about. Oh yeah, just change your desires. Super easy, guys. Anybody can do that. Um, start, with, start with a place. We talked about a place, right? Start with a place. Where, where's a place that you can designate to spend time with God? I have a friend who literally has a prayer rock, a rock he sits on and prays to God, overlooking the sound. I mean, what if you just designated a place where you would just have time to spend with God every morning, getting up, spending time with him? Where is a place that you can be alone and just say, oh, even if you were just quiet before God, where you didn't have distractions, to-do lists, cell phones. I know the Bible's on the, on the phone now, but like every time I go to read it on my phone, I f click on the internet or something. You know, I'll click on another app. It's distracting. So I don't know if that's you. Maybe you have more self-control than me, but um, what is that place where you can get away from all that distraction, all the noise, and just be with God? I'll give you two of mine. Two, two of my places one is my tiny office upstairs in our house, and the other is Hovander Park. Those are two places where I spend time with God. My tiny upstairs office is a door that I can close to my three crazy kids, and I don't do it all the time, you know, but I can just be alone with God in the morning, in the quiet, with a cup of coffee, and just pray or read or sing or worship. It's a place where I can actually like get on my face before God. My second, the second is Hovander. The first because it's not in Blaine, because if I know I run in Blaine, I'll see a bunch of a bunch of people, right? Which is cool. But if I need to be alone, uh, alone with God, I usually go down to Hovander. I just run or walk those trails and just have a conversation with God. So I don't know what it would look like for you, but think about a time and a place where this is it. This is my place. This is my prayer rock. This is where I spend time with God. Maybe you pray there. Maybe you journal. Maybe you write things down. Maybe you worship. Maybe you read the word. But whatever you do, spend time with God. And one more closing thought. You know, we talked about starting with desire, but I think that starts with realizing that God desires you. God desires you. Did you ever think about the fact that God actually, he wants to be your refuge. He doesn't want to be a last resort. Like, he wants to be the rock that you continually come to. So I just want to end on verse 5 as an encouragement to you. No matter where you're at, no matter what you've been wrestling with this week, 
says, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. God wants us to find our refuge in him. Let's pray. God, there's no joy greater than just being with you, being in your presence, God. Lord, feeling the freedom that comes by just being close to you, God, the weight of, um, the weight of our, our hearts lifted, God. Lord, our, our sin is removed, God, in that place as we confess before you. Jesus, we find love there, hope, peace, grace. And Lord, I pray that for everyone in this room that, um, God, that, that you would become the rock that we continually go to. God, not as a last resort, but as the place where we can be at home. And Lord, I pray that even this week, as we take a step into this, that you would be leading, that your spirit would be leading our hearts. God, that your spirit would be at work because this isn't something that just happens. Lord, get a hold of our hearts. God, I pray that if there's uh, anyone seeking refuge this morning, God, that they would find it. They would find it in your love. They would find it in your heart, knowing that you love and care for us, God, as your kids. And like kids, you want us to come home. Like parents, you want us to come home, God. So, Lord, we, uh, we just praise you. We thank you. Lord, may you be the rock of our hearts, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.